Hello and welcome to another cross-examine video. Uh, this video should be an interesting one. Uh, today I want to talk about women in leadership in the church. Uh, I've actually put off making this video for a long time. Uh, I've had notes on this and I've wanted to make it for a few years now actually. Uh, I wanted to, I actually wanted it to be one of my first videos that I created for this channel, but every time I put pen to paper, so to speak, to kind of flesh out my thoughts for the video, it just never felt like the right time. Uh, either my heart wasn't in the right place, or there were external circumstances prohibiting it, uh, or you have notable pastors like John MacArthur stirring up the topic in ways that I don't think are beneficial for the conversation. Uh, and so I just kind of put it off until now. Uh, but I've been praying about this, and I just you know, I feel like it's the right time. Uh, so I hope you can hear my heart on this before I dive in. There will be disagreements that you have with me. That's a, a, a guarantee. I can guarantee it for a topic like this. It doesn't matter what side of the argument that you fall on. I guarantee that you will disagree with something that I say here. And I want you to hear this right from the start. That's okay. <laughs> it's okay to disagree on this. This is not an issue that I think should separate believers, meaning that I don't think either side should stand on their respective stages and say that if you're on the other side, you're going to hell. Uh, I don't think believers... Christians should take that type of stance on this issue. But I do understand, on the other hand, why it divides churches in the sense that there comes a difference of opinion when it comes to worship in their respective church homes. Just like I understand why there are divides in church denominations over baptism. I don't think that we take the approach that Christians who baptize infants are going to hell or Christians who hold to believers baptism are going to hell. But I do think it's understandable and okay even to, to some extent that churches set up different houses of worship according to that type of theology. And I think that's the same here in this case. But I think today as we have conversations swirling around this topic, much of the discourse ends up being about things that aren't actually the root of the issue. And we see this all the time in our culture today with conversations on social media. We get these bite-sized arguments about 10 different things, and none of them actually deal with what we claim to be arguing about in the first place. So I want to be intentional in this video about stripping away the emotion, the controversy, the soundbite arguments, and just take a close look at, I just want to look at what God says. Uh, hopefully that's something that we can all agree on. I don't care what John MacArthur says. I don't care what Beth Moore says. Uh, at the end of the day, the only voice that I really care about on this and really any issue is God's. If God speaks about it, I want to know what he says. If God says that women can be pastors, then women can be pastors. And if God says that women can't be pastors, then women can't be pastors. It, it really should be that simple. I understand there's a lot of complexity introduced into that argument, but that's ultimately what I want to drive down into is what God says. So let me lay out how I want to go through this discussion. First, we need to clarify what we're actually talking about. Uh, I mentioned earlier that I want to talk about women in leadership in the church. So that narrows our focus of discussion. We're not talking about women in society, women in culture. I think women. I think we would probably all agree that women can and should work, be in places of leadership in the world, own businesses, get college degrees, own property, vote in elections, and so on. I can't imagine that that would be a very controversial stance. But hey, this is going out on the internet. Maybe you disagree. I guess I shouldn't assume that it wouldn't be controversial. But that's my stance. But like I said, this this narrows our focus. We're just talking about the church. And I, I'm, I'm being specific in my usage of the word leadership in the church because I think that provides a proper context for the conversation. 
The Bible doesn't just talk about women and pastors. It talks about the roles women play in various roles of leadership in the church. And I think that is so often missed. The word pastor has been so divorced from its original meaning in the Bible, and we just apply it to anything and everything in the church today. So when someone says women can't be pastors, the opposing side hears that women can't do anything in the church. But that's not what they mean. And when the other side says that women can and should be pastors, the other side brings their interpretation of pastor to the table and then claims that these people are committing heresy. And so maybe that's where we should start. Maybe we need to clarify the extreme viewpoints and how they don't fit with God's view on women and the church. And so here's something to note before we even get to the extremes. If you think that anyone on the other side is the extreme viewpoint, then I think you are extreme in your viewpoint. If you hear someone say that they don't think women should be pastors because of what God says in his word, and you immediately jump to, well, they're sexist, then I think you're extreme in your viewpoint. And the same goes for the other side. If you hear someone say that they think women can be pastors because of what God says in his word, and you jump to the thought of, well, they're just men-hating witches, then I think you're extreme in your viewpoint. <laughs> Sorry, I wanted to clarify that. Let's get back to the viewpoints. So the, there's the extreme view on the conservative side uh, that I think gets into sexism and misogyny. And it, 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 they do this in their extreme desire to adhere to the word of God. And in doing that, they end up living in an abusive and dehumanizing worldview. You know, it's not enough that women can't be pastors. It's that they can't do anything in the church in this view. They are to be silent. They are only good for being taught, not for teaching. They believe that God put men in charge and that they and they end up kind of taking this approach of leading in fear and dominance rather than leading in love. So that's the extreme view on the conservative side. That's bad. That's contradictory to God's what God says. They twist scripture to believe that. That's bad. On the other side of the aisle, the extreme view is guilty of that same sin. They end up devaluing the word of God in order to fit into a specific worldview. It's not just that women can be pastors. It's that men are no longer good enough to be pastors because they've spent so much time hurting the church, hurting women, that they are not fit to lead. It ends up being this kind of man-hating and even in some cases Bible-degrading theology. They end up de-emphasizing the Bible because it was written by men. And you guessed it, men can't be trusted. Men have hurt and abused and lived too long in dominance, and it's it's the women's time to rise up. Men need to be put down. Women are elevated. That's the extreme on the other side. That's bad. That's contradictory to God's word. So let me say this clearly so you don't confuse my views on this. Both of these views are sinful. Both of these views are bad because they elevate the view of man over what God says. So then what is the right perspective. Well, again, I want, to, I want to take God's word on this topic. And man, there are so many approaches that you can take on this topic. And I'll, I'll try to cover as many as I can. I, I don't want to take the simple view of just kind of quoting famous verses out of context and letting the argument stand there. I want to look at the whole word of God. So let's establish God's view on people, both men and women. There is not a single verse in the Bible where God declares one gender more valuable than the other. There are different roles that he lays out. He distinguishes between the two of them. So we're not saying that there's no difference between men and women, but in terms of inherent value, both are valued 
equally in God's eyes. That's what Paul is getting at in Galatians 3 when he says, For in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. For as, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying that when it comes to salvation, when it comes to the grace of God, he doesn't value one race over another, one economic status over another, or one gender over another. Those factors don't buy you an advantage with God. So we can't take the extreme viewpoint on either side that says men are better and deserve to lead. Sorry, it's this side. Men are better and deserve to lead and or that women are better and deserve to lead. So that's God's view on people. Again, hopefully there's not a lot of disagreement on that at this point. So then why is there a disagreement at all when it comes to this topic? If both are equal, then why is there a distinction in the church? Well, that's where we have to let God speak and then we just follow what he says. And God, in his word, has revealed the roles he desires for men and women to live out. And that has split churches because we're bad at discussing things we disagree on. So when we talk about the split of the church, when you exclude the extreme viewpoints, we're not talking about sexism and misogyny, and we're not talking about hating men and devaluing the word of God. The split of the church generally narrows down to two views. You have egalitarianism, and complementarianism. Egalitarianism means equality in all parts, meaning people are equally valued and therefore equally deserve the same rights and opportunities. So they see the denial of women in a certain role as the denial of a right that should be equal, and they would therefore have an issue with complementarianism. Complementarianism holds the view that men and women are equally valued but designed for different roles that complement one another. Now, I want to say this here again so that you don't misunderstand my view on this. I think both groups are God-fearing, Bible-believing Christians. They're people of the book, people desiring to follow God's word. We may disagree with one another, but let's not reduce our conversations to the point of slinging insults at one another. We are in the same house, on the same team, let's discuss it like that instead of trying to kick someone off the balcony. At this point, you've made it this far, so I really encourage you to watch to the end of the video. I'm gonna to try to cover as many topics and arguments as I can, and I don't want you to feel upset or discouraged by thinking, oh, well, Mark thinks this, but he hasn't talked about this, this, and this. Well, I'm gonna try, but if you cut out early, you might not hear it. And if I don't address it, I want you to reach out to me because I want to consider it and discuss it with you. Okay, so we've been dancing around it enough. Let's see what God has to say about women in leadership. First, I want to look at what God specifically says about the role of pastor. When someone says that women can or cannot be a pastor, what does God say about that role? There are other verses and examples that we will consider, absolutely. This, this is not the stopping point. This is just where we're starting. And I think this is the best place to start because this is what God thought was important enough to directly address. So according to scripture, According to God's holy word, a pastor in the church fills the following roles. They are responsible for feeding their flock of new and mature believers. We see this in John 21, where Paul tells Peter that he is to feed his lambs, his sheep, and tend to them, meaning he is to shepherd or lead them. He is also supposed to be a dedicated follower of Christ. We see that in the same passage in John 21. That's verses 15 through 19, if you're curious. And in pretty much the whole book of Acts, we see that pastors are called to preach the gospel faithfully. That's definitely a role that they fill. And that would be what Jesus is talking about in John 21. Feeding and tending to the flock involves preaching the gospel faithfully. And so you can basically boil down the role of a pastor or elder. Those words are interchangeable in the New Testament. They don't represent different offices. You can boil down the role of a pastor to teaching or preaching 
and leading. Their role is to faithfully teach God's word and lead the congregation that they oversee. And there are a lot of qualifications that go into that role, being above reproach with their family, being respectful, hospitable, not violent or quarrelsome, and the list goes on. But I really wanted to clarify the role that a pastor fills in their church because that's the role that I think God is very specific with. So let's dig into those famous controversial passages. Let's see what God has to say about the role of women preaching and leading in the church because again, he thought it was important enough to directly address this. And that's the final word I think we should base our viewpoint on. Uh, the most famous passage cited is probably 1 Timothy chapter 2. Now before we even get to that passage, we need to set the context for this section. Paul wrote 1 and 2 Timothy as letters to, you guessed it, Timothy. Timothy was placed as the elder in Ephesus. Timothy was put there after the letter of Ephesians was already written. So this church has already been established for a while and it starts going off the rails. Things are getting kind of weird. People are teaching crazy things. Weird enough to the point that Paul condemns it as demonic and false and kicks some people out of the church. So it's a big deal. So these letters to Timothy are basically used to kind of set the record straight on how the church should run. And one of the things that Paul wants to set straight is the role of pastor. As I mentioned before, Paul kicked two men out of the church because of how they were abusing this role and teaching false doctrine. So it's not just women that Paul was addressing in this letter. The first chapter addresses a lot of false teaching that was kind of running amok in Ephesus and how Timothy was to address it. And then in chapter two, Paul starts laying out what the church should look like. Paul talks about wanting the church to pray for leadership in the community, to pray for salvation. He says he wants men, and this word is specific to men. It's not a generic word like mankind or humankind. It means men. He desires men to pray in every place without anger or quarreling. So that's a specific call to men to publicly pray, to lead the public in prayer without quarreling. The men in Ephesus were prone to argue in public. And Paul says that's not what the church is about. That's not what the church should be about. And then Paul turns his attention to women. Paul says that women, and again, in the Greek, this word is specific to female, that women should adorn themselves in respectable attire with modesty and self-control. The women in Ephesus were basically drawing attention to themselves by the way that they dressed. And Paul says, no, not in the church. That's not what the church or any church should be about. And so do you see the pattern that Paul is kind of setting here? There's this behavior that's out of line in the church. And he sets it straight, not by saying, hey, for you guys specifically, we're going to come up with a correction plan just for the church in Ephesus. No, he's writing this letter to Timothy because this behavior is unacceptable in any church. And he outlines the desired outcomes for all churches. Paul continues in his correction of behavior for the church in Ephesus. He says that women should learn quietly with all submissiveness and that he does not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Now again, if we're, if we're following the same pattern, th this is a correction that Paul addresses to the church in Ephesus, but it's applicable to every church. Based on these letters that Paul wrote, there were women in this church who were overtaking the roles of pastors and they were teaching and giving direction to the church. And Paul says, no, we don't permit that a woman should teach or exercise authority over a man when it comes to the church. And I've heard a lot of people interpret this passage as if to say that Paul is saying that he, he doesn't permit women to usurp authority in the church. But here, here's my issue with that. When the Bible is vague, let the Bible be vague. And when the Bible is specific, let it be specific. Paul is pretty specific here in this passage. He, he specifically calls out the men in Ephesus on their issues. And then he calls out the women in Ephesus on their issues. And this address is specifically pointed at women. And I think it would be weird for Paul to say that only women can't usurp authority. 
but he leaves men out of that address. So would he be saying that it's okay for men to usurp the authority of other men? And this is all based on the assumption that when Paul is saying he doesn't permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority, that he's referring to one action. That by teaching something to the church that the men don't agree with, that somehow women are usurping authority. But that's not what Paul is saying. Paul mentions two separate actions, teaching and exercising authority, because these are the roles that are directly related to the elder, to the pastor of a church. That's why I wanted to clarify what the role of a pastor was in the Bible, teaching and leading. So Paul is saying that when it comes to the role that the pastor, that the elder fills, he does not permit a woman to fill that role. But why? (laughs) Well, thankfully, Paul anticipates this question so that I don't have to answer it. Uh, Paul provides an answer right after he says that. He says in 1 Timothy 2.13, right after he says he does not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority, that it's because Adam was formed first and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Now, what, what is Paul talking about here? Well, based on the context surrounding these verses... I think that Paul is talking about the roles that men and women fill. Adam was created first. That means something. That means Adam was responsible. He's put in charge of his house. We we find this in other passages in the New Testament, how the wife is called to submit to her husband, and the husband is called to lead well by loving his wife. But Paul doesn't just say that it's because Adam was formed first. It's also that Eve was deceived. Now, why is this important? After all, they both ended up sinning, and Eve was only able to be deceived because Adam failed to lead and protect her, right? Absolutely, that's part of it. But what Paul is showing here is that Eve's role was submission to her husband, but instead of submitting, she stepped out in an authoritative way and was deceived as a result. Paul points out this example to show that you can trace God's vision from men and women back to the garden. There were complementary roles even before the fall and before sin was introduced. And if those complementary roles were honored and held to, if Adam led well and protected his wife, and if Eve submitted to Adam's leadership, we might not be in the mess that we're in right now. From this, Paul continues to directly address the issue by laying out the qualifications for an elder. And I said earlier, and I'll say it again now, when the Bible is specific, let it be specific. And when Paul outlines the qualifications of an elder, he's very specific. Paul lays out all of these qualifications, and with each of them, Paul provides a masculine or male qualifier. Now, some will read 1 Timothy 3 and and say, well, culturally, they just used masculine words to kind of apply to both men and women. And that's true in certain contexts. But not, that's not the case here. We can definitely go into the nitty-gritty of the Greek here if you'd like, but you can trust Greek scholars who are much more qualified than me. Paul is talking about men here. Paul is very clear in 1 Timothy, the role of an elder and pastor is reserved for men, not because they're better. Paul corrects the men just as much as the women in this letter, and a few of them are kicked out of the church. Paul writes this outline because it's God's design. That's why he pointed back to creation. He does it in 1 Timothy, and he basically does the same thing in his letter to Titus when he covers the qualifications of an elder. But you might say, Mark, there are so many examples of women serving in leadership in the church. And I would say, yes, absolutely. Let's celebrate that. Let's continue that in the church today. In fact, we can continue our reading in 1 Timothy 3 to see what God has for women in the role of leadership, in the role of a deacon. Right after this passage where Paul lays out qualifications for an elder, Paul does the same thing for deacons or servant ministers in the church. And the qualifications are fairly similar to what you'd look for in a pastor, a husband of one wife, dignified, not dishonest, etc., etc. But then we see something in verse 11, 
and something interesting happens. Paul mentions women. Now, depending on the translation you use, you might find that the translators have done some interpreting for you, which I don't like. Uh, I primarily use the English Standard Version, and in verse 11, it starts with their wives, meaning that it would be talking about the wives of the deacons. But in the Greek, that's not actually what it says. The word here for wives is the same word used for women in the previous chapter when it says that Paul does not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority. Now, depending on the context, this word can mean wife or woman. But I don't think the context here dictates that this must mean the wife of a deacon. And I'll tell you why. If you read back through the qualifications of an elder, it never mentions anything about the qualifications for the elder's wife, other than that he only needs to be married to one of them. So then why would the Holy Spirit inspire Paul to lay out more qualifications for a deacon than for a pastor? Uh, no, I think what's happening here is the translators for ESV are doing some minor interpreting on their end so that it reads that men can be deacons, not women. And I think that's an interpretation here that's frankly wrong. And it contradicts what we know about women in the early church. We know that women served as deacons in the early church. In Romans 16.1, Paul mentions Phoebe, and she is said to be commended because she's a servant of the church. And that word for servant in the Greek is the same word used here for deacon, diakonos. So in 1 Timothy, when Paul is talking about deacons and he comes to address women, he puts the same qualification on them that he does the men. They need to be dignified, sober-minded, faithful, so on and so forth. And that's why I keep reiterating this point to all of you. When the Bible is specific, let it be specific. And that's why I will remind you of what I said at the beginning. Everyone will find something to disagree with me on this topic. It's not, it's, it's just going to happen. And I'm sure people will disagree with me from this on the conservative side. But hey, if you disagree with me and you all agree that you disagree with me, then at least I brought some sense of unity to the church on this topic. Uh, but I want to circle back to this argument about women serving in leadership roles in the church, both in the Old and the New Testament, because I hear this one a lot, that women have always served in leadership roles in the church, and it's it's only in recent history that men have excluded them from various roles. Well, there's, there's some truth to that, and there's also some revisionist history to that. Uh, let's deal with the truth first. When people say that women have always been in places of leadership in the church, in both the Old and New Testament, I would say again, yes, absolutely, Amen to that. That's one of the things I've, I love about Christianity is, and what I think separates Christianity from the majority of other religions throughout history is how Christians have historically treated women. In the Old Testament, you had, the roles, uh, you had women in roles of leadership in religion like Miriam, Moses' sister. She, uh, she can be seen leading worship for the Israelites in Exodus 15. Or you have uh, Deborah, one of the judges of Israel. Being a judge basically meant you were the person in charge of the government and politics. And she's also referred to as a prophet. You have queens like Esther, heroes like Ruth, and the list goes on. Uh, and the list continues in the New Testament. We, we already mentioned Phoebe serving as a deacon, but you also have Priscilla who served with her husband uh, to host a church, and she, uh, she and her husband brought Apollos to Christ in Acts 18. There are passages in the New Testament that talk about women prophesying, speaking in tongues, teaching other women and children. And again, the list goes on. No one can rightly argue that women do not have a place at the leadership table at the church. But even in these examples, you want to know the one role that women are never shown to serve in when it comes to the church. In the Old Testament, women can be found in every role of leadership except the priest. And in the New Testament, women can be found in every role of leadership except the pastor. And that's the second piece that I want to correct, this, this kind of revisionist history that tries to paint the church as if it's recently made the decision to exclude women from this role. No, the church has been consistent through history in how it's set up to be a reflection 
of God's relationship to us. Just as Christ is the head of the church, so the man is the head of his household. And the man being called into ministry and leading the church is a continued reflection of God's design that harkens all the way back to the Garden of Eden before the fall of man. So then what's my stance on all of this? Well, like I said, I want to go with what God says. And I think his word is very clear on this. There are specific passages that speak directly to this issue. And then a whole Bible full of examples of how to live that out well and what happens when we go against it. I think men and women serve in complementary roles. Men are called to lead in love and women are called to submit in obedience. That doesn't mean that men get to dominate. That's why I clarified they are to lead in love. But that doesn't mean that women are shut out of the leadership roles that God desires for them. Let your women lead worship, lead children's ministries, let them serve as missionaries under the authority of a pastor, give them opportunities to serve God in the roles that he created them for. But when it comes to the pastor, what we probably think of today as the senior pastor role, God is clear that it's reserved for men that are called and faithful. So my role is not to try to find a way to explain that away or to challenge the authority of scripture. And my role is not to take the truth that God provides and twist it to my own selfish gain. My role as a follower of Christ is to do just that, to follow Christ and what he says. And he's specific in how he sets up the church and he's specific in the roles that each of us should play. And the role that we are called to play doesn't diminish or increase the value of the person. Everyone is equal in the eyes of God. And yet, there are roles that are distinguished and assigned. And we even see that in the Trinity. And that's how I want to end this. I've heard this argument before that calling women to submit is inherently demeaning or dehumanizing. And that happens. And that should be condemned. Anyone that is dehumanizing or devaluing someone because of their gender is wrong. But also in response to that, I would point to Philippians 2 and John 6. First in Philippians 2, we read about Christ not counting equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant and humbled himself by being obedient to the point of dying on the cross. And in John 6 verse 38, Jesus says, I did not come to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. In these verses, we see this clear example of Jesus' submission. But would we say that Jesus was belittled or devalued because of his submission? No, it's quite the opposite. In fact, it's because of Jesus' submission to the Father that he is glorified and given all authority. In the Trinity, we get this beautiful picture of a perfect, loving relationship and perfect, obedient submission in that. Neither abuses or accuses the other, but they have this perfect unity because of the roles that they play. And I think that's what God desires for the church. And that's why he created each of us the way that we are and why he was specific with his prescription for how the church is to be set up. But that's, I mean, that's that's really all I have on this. I, I, I think we could probably go a lot longer. I already went a lot longer than I thought I would. Uh, I debated splitting this into two or three videos, but I just, I didn't think it would be beneficial for the conversation to have this split up over a month. Um, so for better or worse, I put it all in one long video so that you can engage with the full discussion rather than interacting with it kind of piece by piece. So now I'm sure there are people that disagree with me and I, I, I really would, I would love to hear from you. Show me what I'm missing. What am I not seeing? What am I not engaging with? What am I blind to? What am I ignoring? I would, I would love to hear from you. I really would. I hope that we can continue to discuss this topic and remain close 
Christian brothers and sisters, my closest and dearest friends, disagree with me probably on 100% of what I'm saying on this topic, and I love them, and I will continue to love them and hope that they will continue to love on me. Uh, and I think that's what the church is all about, ultimately, building one another up, edifying one another, and doing kingdom work for God's glory. So thank you for tuning into this video. May God bless you, and I'll see you soon.